Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in. Listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Stand with me, if you would, please. Welcome all of you watching online and all you moms that are home having breakfast in bed. We wish you a happy Mother's Day, too. We'd be happier if you were here. All right. Enough of that. Hold your Bibles up. Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what the Bible says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God, and I boldly confess my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, and I'll never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So many beautiful smiles today, and uh, it's awesome, and we do wish you a happy Mother's Day. Your, the kids will have something for you after this worship experience, and Again, the open house is right after this for you to go over and look at all the renovations in what we call the garage or the kids' worship center, and thank all of you who contributed to make that possible. Uh, Since it is Mother's Day, I thought I would just start off with a a little humor. Uh, One daughter said to her mom, what's it like to have the greatest daughter in the world? Her mother replied, I don't know, dear. You You have to ask your grandma. Son said, Happy Mother's Day from the world's worst son. Gave his mother a mug that said, Happy Mother's Day from the world's worst son. He said, But I forgot to mail it, but I think she knows. A kid asked his dad, What's a man? The dad says, A man is someone who is responsible and cares for their family. The kid said, I hope one day I can be a man just like mom. Just saying. One mother says, I have a perfect son. Man says, does he smoke? No, he doesn't. She says, and he says, does he drink whiskey? No, he doesn't. Does he ever come home late? No, he doesn't. The man said, I guess you really do have a perfect son. How old is he? He'll be six months next Wednesday. Finally, Fred's 32 years old, and he's still single. One day, a friend asked, why aren't you married? He said, well, can't you find a woman that will be a good wife? Fred replied, I actually have found many women I wanted to marry, but when I bring them home to meet my parents, my mother doesn't like them. His friend thinks for a moment and says, I've got the perfect solution. Just find a girl who's just like your mother. A few months later, they meet again, and his friend says, did you find the perfect girl? Did your mother like her? With a frown on his face, Fred answers, yes, I found the perfect girl. She was just like my mother. You were right. My mother liked her very much. The friend said, then what's the problem? Fred replied, my father doesn't like her. Yeah, some of you will get that about the time you eat your second bite of chicken. So, 
in a world that is filled with opinions and a desire for people to think everything we do is good and right, it's important that we take these steps that I'm about to read to you. It's called the evolution of our humanity. You know, when we're born, if you look at children, I don't know how many years, as a matter of fact, some kids never outgrow this, but, you know, children by nature, when they're born, are nothing but takers. And God had to make them little and cute and helpless for us to even like them. I mean, think about popping out a 14-year-old and them going, I want to eat. Get up in the middle of the night, you know. So God gives us these little babies, and and their their nature is, if they want to eat, they cry, you feed them. Their diaper's dirty, they cry, you change it. Uh, They're alone at night, they're crying, you hold them, they stop. It's beautiful for a while, but that's the nature of mankind without growing into an understanding of God. We are takers. We want someone to always be giving to us, and this is the beauty to me of, of, of mothers. Is I, I'm, I've, I've watched some babies be born. It's just absolutely frightening. I mean, if you've never watched it, it's like, oh, Jesus, what's about to happen here? I mean, when you see this thing unfolding, I mean, it's, it's a mess. I mean, it's just nothing. I mean, it's like, oh, God, there's not a man in the world who's going to fight a woman about to give birth. I mean, Mike Tyson would bow his knee, trust me. It's like that woman can take you out. If she can push a baby out, oh, Jesus, I cannot imagine how hard her punch would be. So women, this, this is you. Thank you for giving because you are the kind that says, you know, I want a baby. I want to give life. And, and that takes a lot. I mean, if it were up to men, there wouldn't be any children. I'm going to tell you after watching it, there ain't no way I'm putting my body through that. <laughs> Some of you women go, it's so precious. It's so, you cray cray. Luke chapter 10, a very familiar passage of Scripture. If you've been in church any period of time, on one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and finally... Love your neighbor as you love yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? I've had to ask that question on several occasions. (laughs) Who is my neighbor? I've had some bad neighbors. Any of y'all had bad neighbors? Don't raise your hand because probably sitting down the row from you. Who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now, let me just pause here one moment 
and remind you that Samaritans and Jews despised each other. They didn't like each other even a little bit. They wouldn't come near each other. So Jesus is telling this story knowing he's about to provoke a Jewish audience into, and I mean really when I say provoke, when he just uses the word Samaritan, it's going to set off alarms in their heart and mind. So Jesus said, I want to make a really, really strong point here because the priest ignored the need, the Levite ignored the the need, the man that's half dead. But all of a sudden, here this Samaritan is coming by, and it says, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. We are called by God to be people who represent him. In order to represent him well, we have to know who he is and what he would do in situations like these. Well, we know that Jesus came to a world that was filled with sin, people who had neglected, rejected God, and Jesus said, I love you so much that I'm coming anyway, and I'm going to love you in an unlovable condition. In the unlovable state that you're now in, I'm going to love you because love never fails. And it's so very difficult to read this message and realize what God is doing is, is really challenging not just the people of that time, but the people of today. We have uh, in a world that is filled with people who are takers, that all they're ever looking for is how I can be blessed and what can happen for me and how it can happen to me. I have a very dear friend who many years ago was absolutely broke, sitting in a, a public park, had four little kids. And, and he turned to God, and in, in his prayer, he cried out to God, God, I need help, and I have four babies, and I have no money. Well, long story short, after that simple prayer, turning things over to God, he is now worth more money than you and I could ever, ever imagine. But the process took a while because when he built his first business, there was an attempt at a hostile takeover that took years in court, and he won the case. There were people trying to take what he had built. That, that's the world in which we live. And the reality is that we're not that kind of people. We are a radical faith, radical Christian people that says, God, I want to satisfy you and please you, and I want to do what you want me to do. This story shows us three different types of people. There are first people who are the takers the robbers, the thieves, people who are always looking for shortcuts and ways to get something from somebody who's worked hard for what they've gotten. And those people exist. Now, you may not be that kind of person physically uh, and physically take that kind of action, but in your mind, that's how come one of the ten is thou shall not covet. I want what you have. No, I'm happy you've got what you got. 
And I want you to tell me how you got what you got because I don't want to take what you've got. I want to rejoice in what you've got. But our flesh doesn't do that. Our flesh has a tendency to covet. It has a tendency to want what you have no matter what it takes. I'm willing to take shortcuts. I'm willing to fabricate stories to put you down so that I can have what you built. Many years ago, I was asked to uh, become the chairman of the board of a a great ministry in Wanameth, Haiti. Uh, A little Puerto Rican lady that became a dear friend started it. Some of you may remember Mama Danita, and uh, she just went and started feeding kids, sleeping on the floor of a school, and over the years, she built a hospital, an orphanage of over 100 kids, a church, a school for those kids. She's made a real impact, and so the Better Business Bureau, she had made such an impact, they said she needed a Better Business Bureau rating, and that meant that she could not be the chairman of the board, so she asked me to chair that board and be the president of it. And uh, I had been there when she had almost nothing, and I walked it out with her and served on the board, and and so uh, other along with some other leaders from America. And so when she asked me to chair the board, at that time I believe it was uh, the revelation of God. How many of you know when you're in crisis, you don't do so well. When you are in a difficult place, you will do things you normally wouldn't do. And, and emotions will drive you rather than the Holy Spirit or the Bible because you have such a desperate need. So being aware that, that I was being put in a position that I was going to be put in, that I needed to do something to protect her and to protect me from doing anything should something happen to her. So I looked at the bylaws and the Constitution and I rewrote them. See, typically in a Christian organization, there are several ways to approach it. If she were to do something stupid, that oftentimes what would happen is somebody would come in, remove her, and take over. And I didn't feel right about that, so I made every board member, including myself, sign a document that stated, if anything happens to her, we're going to lift her up, put her in place, and she gets to fill her position if she wants to. Because I knew that the flesh is taking. It's about taking. It's about possessing. I didn't build that. She built it. It was not mine to take over. It was hers to keep or do whatever she wanted with. It was not mine. And so I had to crucify my flesh early to make sure because it's a very attractive ministry. It's beautiful. I mean, it, it is a diamond in Haiti and, and helped a lot of people. But I knew It was not my place. You see, sometimes we have to take preventative measures in order to keep our flesh in check. So the very first thing is, what's yours is mine, and I'm going to take it. That's what happened in the story. These robbers, these thieves, these takers, if you will, decided. Now, how many of you know, you don't rob somebody who has nothing. Often read this story and you think, well, this poor homeless guy. No, no, he was not homeless. He had something or they wouldn't have messed with him. So they decided, obviously, that they didn't have what they wanted, so they found somebody else who had what they wanted, and they began to take what he had. You see, whenever you're a blessing to others and you sow into others, then God brings it to you. You don't have to be a taker. When somebody else is doing well, celebrate what they're doing well. But the temptation is to try to take a portion or to steal or to rob from them 
in order to quickly acquire something that is really not yours. And so these guys behaved in a way that was very human, if you will. One person said, those who live to the future must always appear selfish to those who live to the present. In other words, it may take some time to get what you want. But by the time you get what you want, you will have the character to sustain what you got. You know, it's been proven scientifically across the country that people who win the lottery oftentimes either die, kill themselves, or are messed up because they didn't have the foundation of soul to handle the wealth in their account. See, God moves us according to our character in order to protect us. God's not withholding from us because he wants to withhold from us. He's withholding from us in order to establish enough in our heart to hold what he puts in our hands. So if I take something I'm not prepared for, it will not be a blessing to me. It will be a curse to me. No matter how I would try to pitch it, God, they didn't deserve it. You don't know how they got it. I know how they got it. They, and all of a sudden, you talk yourself into becoming a religious taker. It does get quiet on this point. It does get better. But this addresses the fallen nature of mankind. That we begin to covet, and Jesus said, or the Word of God says, Thou shalt not covet. We excuse ourselves based on our need and say, Well, I need it. No, most of the time we just want it. God said He'll meet every need that we have according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So if you wait on the Lord and, and you obey the Lord, you're going to have everything you need. And more than likely, if you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. God's not withholding anything from us. Now, he may be waiting. Boy, there have been times I'm thinking, God, would you step on the accelerator, please? Because I need to get something going on up in here, and it ain't happening right now. And I start playing God. I don't know if any of y'all ever played God, but I regularly dress up like God. And it ain't pretty. I mean, you know, so I, I, want, I want things the way I want them, when I want them, how I want them, from whom I want them. And God says, you know what, I have so much better for you than you could ever imagine if you'll just wait on me. And some of you are, you're circling right now. You're in a holding pattern, and you think you're running out of fuel. You ever been on one of those airplanes where they say, we just got a little bit of fuel left. Thanks for letting me know. That's information I could live without. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Well, they've got us circling. Well, I wish they would let us start landing some of y'all are in a holding pattern, and you think it's never going to happen, but it's going to happen. These thieves did not have to stop and hurt this man. All they had to do was wait. The second group is what's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. So you have, you have the robbers, the takers, if you will, and now you've got the religious people. This is the group I like to really beat up on. You know why? Because Jesus liked to beat up on this group too is that religious people have a tendency to think they deserve things based on the reputation they possess, the titles they hold, 
the offices that they experience. I mean, they, they've got all figured out. Religious people try to maneuver or manipulate God based on what they're doing instead of accepting what Christ did because that's the only reason we deserve anything. Thank you very much. So the Levite and the priest said, what's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. I'm not going to go over and even look in the ditch. You know, I, I, I've had these experiences, and I shared this probably a week or two ago. I hesitate to ever share things back to back, but I could probably preach the same sermon for four weeks, and you all would think the fourth week was the best because you never heard it the first three. Thank you. I felt that way down in here. I was at 21st and Harvard, between Harvard and Yale and Tulsa many years ago. It was a very cold, cold morning. And I was leaving my house to go to church, religious, but not really. I was a person of faith, but that's what religious people, you know, think, well, I'm going to church. So that was my thing. So I think I'm going to church. I was on staff. I had to get to church. But as I approached 21st Street coming off of Knoxville in Tulsa, I see this man walking, and he has a T-shirt on, blood on his T-shirt, raggedy jeans, and, and he's just, I mean, you could tell he had had a pretty tough night. It was an early morning, and, and I, I looked, and, and I wanted to be the priest. I wanted to be the Levite, and God says, I want you to take him where he needs to go. And I went, get thee behind me, Satan. This man is crazy. He's got to be crazy. It's crazy cold, and he's bloody, and he's dirty, and he's a mess. And God, you know, I am a priest and a Levite. God said, not today, you're a Samaritan. So, you know, one of the things I've figured out in life is if you run into somebody crazy, you better at least match their level of crazy. It's kind of intimidating to them too, you know what I'm saying? I, I was in New York City. I used to go about every month. A friend of mine has a ministry there in, in Brooklyn, a very rough area, and I would fly in and I would train leaders in, in Bushwick, and so I was flying in, and I, I guess I was just tired, and it was evening, and it was turning dark, and I got on the train to go, and, and uh, I wasn't paying attention. Obviously, I ended up at a place called the end of the line. I thought it was a joke. You know, when you, I, I grew up in the Midwest. I mean, well, you're at the end of the line. And I thought that really sounded good until I really found myself at the end of the line. And so what does that really mean? Well, I didn't know until I got to the end of the line, and there wasn't another train to get onto. It stopped there, and in order to get back to where I needed to go, I had to get go out of the subway station up on the streets of New York City at night by myself to go to another station so I could go to where I needed to go. And I, I, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not afraid of a lot, but that night I was pretty afraid because how many of you know it gets cray-cray in New York City? So let me tell you what I figured out. And some of y'all have encountered this. If you talk out loud to yourself, people don't come near you. If you're ever in trouble, just look crazy-eyed and start like, Nobody's going to come near you because you have just elevated your crazy way above theirs. So I, I'm walking the streets, you know, and this is going to help some of you because some of y'all are getting ready to get in a place that's going to be scary. You just scare everybody else. Be more scary than they are. 
And that day when that guy got in the car, I didn't even talk like Jesus for one minute. I'm like, I will kill you. You think you had a rough night? In the name of Jesus, I will kill you if you mess with me. Now, let me tell you about the love of God. It worked. I lived. So the reality is that sometimes we find ourselves in these places that we go, God, I, I don't know what to do. I mean, the priest and Levite had to be afraid of this man. He's, he's half naked. He's bloody. He's laying in a ditch. And you've got to be crazy to go there. But sometimes God, that's what God does. He says, you know, I want you to not be afraid. Are you willing to give your life for the cause? Another friend of mine, and, and I don't know the, the, the story exactly. Uh, I know that his father was killed uh, in South America when they went down and encountered this very first group of people that had never heard the gospel at all. And uh, he, long story short, the missionaries were killed. And my friend over the years grew up without a father. And when he got old enough to understand who killed his dad... Rather than running from these crazy people, he flew down there and leads this whole tribe to Jesus Christ. And the guy that killed his father became a father to him. And they traveled the country telling the story of, this is the man that killed my dad, but now he's my dad, and he's now a Christian. You see, that's crazy stuff, but that's how God works. Rather than being a taker he, and, and saying, what's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it, he decided that he would do something different, and he did something very different. So how do we know that we're this way? Well, first off, God really tells us, forgive, and you'll be forgiven. In other words, give forgiveness, and you'll get forgiveness. If you withhold that, and what's mine is mine, which is unforgiveness, bitterness will eat you up. And I'm going to keep it. You know how many people keep it because they want to stay angry their whole life and they connect themselves to somebody who did them wrong and they wait their whole life for somebody else to do the wrong to the person that did the wrong to them so that they can feel better. You won't feel better if somebody does something wrong to them. You'll feel worse. Don't keep that. The religious people were hanging on to their position, their title, I'm a priest, I'm a Levite, I don't do those kinds of things. And I, that Sunday morning that I was on my way to church, I wanted to say the same thing. God, you know I'm on the way to church and there are thousands of people that I'm going to be able to help. But for some reason on that particular Sunday, God said, this is the one I want you to help and you'll get no credit for it and you'll get no notoriety. I realized the power of one person, the importance of one person to God that was more important on that day than the thousands of people that we would be touching. You see, we have to sometimes think differently in order to act differently. We have to position ourselves in a different place. And we have to realize that we're not nearly as important as we might have thought we were. See, religious people oftentimes measure how good they are based on how good they act instead of how good God did in sending Jesus. Matter of fact, they're the people who pray really long prayers. Have you ever gone to dinner with somebody and it's like, would you shut up so we can eat? You ever pray over a meal with me and you're longer than five seconds, you're going to be hearing my fork hit the plate. 
If you take me to a restaurant that requires more than five seconds of prayer, I'm leaving anyway because that food ain't going to work well. You can't pray bad out of food. (laughs) You take me to a restaurant that takes three to five seconds, I know that's going to be some good eating right there. But, you know, some people pray long to impress the people around them. You know, you pray at the restaurant, look at them, they're really spiritual or whatever. You may not be spiritual at all. But you look spiritual, you sound spiritual. See, the Levite and the priest had all the right clothing on and all the right look and the reputation and the titles, but they didn't have the right behavior. And I'm going I'm to meddle a minute. I'm going to get tacky, so just hold on to your seat. I'll get over it in a minute. It's kind of like turbulence on an airplane. <laughs> Buckle up for a minute. I'll turn the light off in a second if you all act right. But think about this a moment. How many times have you passed up a coworker or a neighbor that's an absolute jerk all in the name of religion? I don't want anything to do with them. I don't want them to be around me. If I'm nice to them, if I lead them to Jesus, they might actually come to my church. You'd be sending them to like the Church of the Chosen Frozen Bed Springs Assembly or something like that. I don't know. St. Mattress Cathedral. Many of you are still worshiping there after the pandemic. <laughs> Got you, didn't I? That's a prophetic word. Get you out of bed. But when's the last time you knowingly passed someone up that you could have helped? And this is the third point. What's mine is yours, and I'm going to give it. What's mine is yours, and I'm going to give it. Now, obviously, I'm not, I'm not talking about just, you know, there's nothing wrong with you having stuff, but there's a whole lot wrong with stuff having us. So, you know, God gives us stuff for the sake of being a blessing. As a matter of fact, he told Abraham, he said, I'm going to bless you, but he didn't stop there because if he would have said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you, Abraham would have said, it's all mine, baby. He said, but I'm blessing you so that you will be a blessing. So when God does something for you, you immediately need to look and say, okay, now that God's done something for me, what can I do for somebody else? Takers never look to help anybody else. They're just takers. They're they're consumers. They're hoarders. They just take and hold and possess. And what they possess is their that's their identity. They find their identity in the things that they have and the things they possess instead of finding their identity in the God who saved their life. Your identity is not in the size of your home, the car you drive, the money you possess, the titles you hold. That's not who you are. That's what you have. You are a believer, born again, bought with the price of Jesus Christ. Your identity is found in Him. And it doesn't, you don't need to be popular to be loved. You don't have to have a lot of stuff to be respected. The Levite, the priest, Or looking at their positions and going, I'm not going to do that. I'll get bloody. I'll get muddy. I'll get dirty. But the Samaritan who the Jews hated said, you know what? What's mine is yours and I'm going to help you. Let me tell you, that Samaritan will never run out of money. You can't run out of money when you give money to help God or help the people of God. Or a person who doesn't deserve it. Like us. 
guys have heard me say this many times. Be careful about what you say when you come up to a stop sign and there's someone there begging for money. If you can do anything at all, if nothing at all, pray for them. And I'm not suggesting you give money to every one of them. I, I, I understand there are some corrupt people on those corners, but there are some really good people who made some really bad mistakes, and they're not there because they want to be. And I know what people say, well, they get a job at Wally World, Walmart, or wherever. Yeah, there's employment. I get that, but listen to me. You and I are not the judge. We're not the potter, we're the clay. And there have been times God has spoken to me to give, and I'm not happy with God. I'm not afraid to tell you, there are times I'm not always happy with God. There are times I look and say, God, this is just, this is just not right. Now, this is not the way you really want to talk to God. But we are pretty tight, and so I maybe get by. No, I'm just kidding. But there are times that I have those conversations with God. And, and God says, you know, it's not your job to judge or to measure whether or not they deserve it. It's your job to obey me. And I think sometimes God might have me to give to a knucklehead. Just because he's saying, you know what, I know who they are. I know what their future looks like. I know what they're going to do with this. I know where they're going to be. You see, it's not our job to question what God told us to do. It's our job to do what God told us to do. And i, I got to tell you, no, this is working on my flesh. When I preach to you, I'm not talking just to you. I'm talking to me. My flesh, I have, my flesh is just like, matter of fact, my flesh may be worse than yours. I mean, some of y'all are really nice in traffic. I'm not. I will honk at you. I do not have a mosaic sticker on my car for a reason. I'd really like for people to come to church. They're probably not going to come if you pull out in front of me. Honk, honk, get out of my way. And then they look, mosaic church, okay, see. Love, grace, mercy. I'm better than I've ever been. I really am. Matter of fact, I intentionally sometimes take the most crowded route just to work on my flesh and just sit there kindly in traffic. I even let people in that are stupid. No, it said merge a mile back. It's the law. It's the law. What part of that sign did you not read? I'm getting over it. You're not getting anywhere. That's, I mean, that's what I want to do. I want to get out of the car and say, you knucklehead, I rebuke you in the name of the God I serve. But I have learned that that's a priest and a Levite. And now I, I really do. I fight my own flesh by giving in to things that really I don't want to give in to. And if you have that problem, some of you do. You're just lying. And some of you know, I just, I'm just a, just a loving driver. Just come on in. All 35 of you. And now I'm mad at you for letting 35 in. Okay. Only those who have learned the power of sincere and selfless contribution experience life's deepest joy and true fulfillment. In life, ask yourself the question, am I a taker? Am I an ignorer, like the religious Samaritan, I mean the, the priest and the Levite, or am I a giver? 
What kind of person am I? You know, I, I, I know, I've just learned in my life, all of a sudden, it's taken me way too long. Uh, I wish I would, in my 30s, learned willingly what I've learned since I haven't been 30. Because now I understand that that attitude permeates every part of my being. Hey, Jesse, could you grab me my notes on over there on the front? I got, yeah, Jim, right, bring those to me. There, uh, you guys know how, uh, sir, sir, uh, preachers are kind of strange creatures. Preachers are strange creatures. <laughs> Hello, Dr. Seuss. Th- this is uh, another sermon for another day. I just carried these around in case. You know, a sheriff carries extra clips. You know what I'm saying? Preachers carry extra sermons. These are my bullets right here, baby. But it it takes something to be Samaritan-like. It doesn't happen easily because of our humanity. To be Samaritan-like says, you know what, I'm not too good. I don't have too many titles. I don't have too much money. I don't have to help anybody and everybody. This is written by William Booth, which the thing that bothers me about this is, is we, we see the Salvation Army, we see it every uh, Christmas holiday. And, and you know, it's, it's lost a little bit because we don't understand how it was birthed. I want you to understand how it was birthed. Think about it. The Salvation Army. We see it as a, a place collecting money or whatever with these red pots and ringing bells. But the reality is it was birthed out of a passion to help hurting people. And I believe probably at the core of the organization that remains. But listen to this. The founder, William Booth, penned this. I hungered for hell. I pushed into the midst of it, the east side of London. For days I stood in the seething streets, drinking it all in and loving it all. Yes, I loved it because I loved the souls that made upon the muddy stream. I went home one night to my wife and said to her, My darling, I have given myself, I have given you, and I have given our children to the service of these souls. This is a Samaritan. A man who decided that my life is only going to be good if I give it away. It's not going to be good if I keep it. Our life is only as good As we give it away. All you have to do is look at the person of Christ. He gave his life away. He said what's mine is yours and I'm going to give it. How many of us have not said to someone, I want you to come to church with me. I want you to experience God. What can I do for you? You see the world is simply waiting on an invitation. The church will never have revival without the people of God creating an interest and a stir and a passion that that comes from experiencing the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. If the people of God and the church of God had as much passion as the, the investors at Wall Street, the passion to produce and make money and the stirring of the market and watching it online and watching it on TV, we need to stir ourselves up in the same ways. I have a passion for the people of God that are dying and going to hell, the ones he created, the ones he loved and gave his life for. There's no time like the present People are wanting an answer 
to the crises that they're experiencing, the hurt, the pain, the fear, the suffering, what's the world going to be like, and, and, and you know, fuel prices are high, and all these things are going on, and, 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 and the world is scared to death, and we ought to be people going, you have nothing to fear because God is here. You have nothing to worry about because he's already paid for everything. It may look bad right now, but put your faith and confidence in him. Early on when I was on staff at a huge church, the pastor was trying to build a building debt-free. He felt very compelled. We had probably 12,000, 13,000 people. And uh, I was just young in ministry. It was really one of my first experiences at anything like this. I'd been on staff at a couple smaller churches, and, and they'd asked me to come and be on this staff. And, and he was always talking to us in staff meetings about the building he wanted to build and everything he wanted. And, and, and he said, but I'm going to build it debt-free. I feel God wants me to do that. And so one day, after many months, if not years, of, of really working toward this, he came to a staff meeting and said, we don't have enough money. We've got about $3 million, and uh, the building we need to build is going to be a lot more than that. And he said, so I'm going to give away $3 million. We don't have enough money anyway, so I'm just going to give it away. He did. Long story short, that building is now built debt-free. And uh, it's huge, big school, everything. But what he taught me was, what I have is yours, and I'm going to give it. And he gave it. And today's in heaven. He's, he built a great ministry. He was my pastor for many years. But I learned from him that a seed sown has possibility. A seed grip has no hope. Many people say, what I have is mine. I worked hard for it. And, and for years as a pastor, the hardest thing I ever have to explain to people is not that Jesus died and, and, and paid for the sins of all mankind. The hardest thing is that God wants to bless you financially. And if you give a tenth and if you give, it'll be good and back. That's the hardest thing for people to understand because they've listened to an evil media that has said all the church wants is your money. Let me tell you, all God wants is your obedience. And if you can be obedient to him, you're going to have more than you know what to do with. But here I'll be vilified. You won't talk about all the fun things I said. At lunch, enjoy me. <laughs> Most parishioners have roast pastor every Sunday. <laughs> We're tough too. We're dry and tough. We're not good at the table. But it's important that we understand. And you say, how do I do that? Here are just a few ways I'm going to close with this. I will exert energy for you. I will spend money on you. I will give my time to you. I'll be responsible for the outcome of your good so much as it depends on me and of your restoration. That's how we know we have crossed over. The desire to be holy rather than happy. The desire to see the honor of God advanced through life. The desire to carry his cross. The desire to see everything from God's viewpoint. The desire to die right Rather than living wrong, the desire to see others advance at his expense or my expense, not his. The desire to make eternity judgments instead of time judgments. Eternity judgments means everything I do, I'm measuring against what your eternity is going to look like. What my eternity is going to look like. Which means I live a life of repentance, not a life of perfection. Oh, I wish I could be perfect, but I realize that is impossible. So every day I get up realizing without the blood of Jesus, I'm as good as gone. But with the blood of Jesus, there's not a chance in the world that you cannot be saved. 
so important for us to understand that goodness of God. Quit measuring your life by all the things you've done and start measuring your life in eternity by what God did when he sent his son. I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes. And I want you to just give me a minute. There are those of you here today on Mother's Day and those of you watching online that you are tired of being tired and you're sick and tired of being sick and tired and you're tired of the rat race and tired of going to sleep at night fearful of dying so you know that you're, you're outside of, of, of the will of God and you've set God aside and you've said I don't want you but God has never said he doesn't want you. God still wants you. He's always wanted you. That's why he sent his son. With every head bowed, every eye closed, those of you here today that would say, please pray for me. I want to make a decision to follow him today. With heads bowed and eyes closed, just slip your hand up right now. Put it right back down. Say, please pray for me. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Are there others? Thank you. Yes. That's what I want today. Thank you. This is so important. And, you know, I remember giving my life to Jesus so afraid of what people were going to say about me. And, you know, I felt so weird and so kind of like ashamed. Like, what am I doing? You know what I did? I did the right thing. And those of you who lifted your hands did the right thing. And those of you that are going to pray this prayer from your home, you're doing the right thing. Pray this with me. Say, Father God, thank you so much for sending your only son to die on the cross for my sin. Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. Today I give my life to you. I repent of my sin, and I declare today I am saved, I am forgiven, and I am going to heaven. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, I want to ask you to to text the word saved, either now or in a moment, uh, to 405-500-1310. This is important. You're not saved because you do that. You're saved and you're letting us know you did that. And it's the beginning of making that statement. And Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it's the power of God unto salvation to all who are saved. It's the power of God when you make that statement. So don't be ashamed of it. Let us know and that will be the beginning for you. And we are so thrilled with you. It's an awesome thing. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Crow. I just want to take a quick moment to thank you for joining us online. We hope you have a blessed week this week and get to be a blessing to those around you. I want to invite you to join us at Mosaic Church OKC next week at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. or join us online. God bless you.